1: Uh, So glad you all decided to join us again for another exciting episode. Uh, Just some updates uh, going on here at uh, Red Tool House. Hang on one second. (laughs) So, uh, never fails as I go to record these intros. I I try to do them right up to the point of release, so the updates are are relevant. But uh, it it appears to be piano practice night tonight as well. And it kind of reminds me of the... uh, This is going to date me, but if uh, there's a movie called The Villain back in 1979 and had uh, Kirk Douglas, Arnold Schwarzenegger, um, just a whole bunch of uh, actors in it. And uh, (laughs) there's a a scene where Nervous Elk the Indian has to explain that we can't attack because uh, uh, of the drums being played. And uh, that's what reminds me of I can't record because of the piano being played
2: gonna set the Indian back at least 50 years. I don't know
0: which is worse him or those damn drones. (sighs) This is the plan of attack. Now go over it with your troops. Okay, Chief. Good brave. We attack at dawn. Chief, why don't we attack now when they're off guard? Indians never attack till dawn. But why?
2: Because night Indians too busy pounding no thro- stuff.
1: <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you guys haven't, uh, yeah, that, that's an oldie but a goodie. That kind of shows you that I have about a 13-year-old uh, sense of humor there. Anyway, getting on with uh, with updates. Really, uh, you know, things are going well uh, here with our pigs. I, I'm pretty certain I have two that have settled um, uh, from our from our breeding. Um, definitely know that my one sow Merida, she's proven sow. She has settled. Um, and then my second one, mercy, I'm pretty certain she settled. She actually, uh, uh, we were out of town and we got back. Uh, she had just a little bit of swelling, but never a standing heat. So I'm going to check her again here as her next cycle comes around. So hoping that we'll have, uh, two, uh, two sows that have settled and uh, be ready to farrow in, uh, mid November. Uh, one more update is uh, in the month of October, I believe it's October 11th and 12th, we'll be in Front Royal, Virginia for the Homesteaders of America Conference. So if you happen to be in that area, if you're planning on going to that conference, that's more homesteading, and um, obviously not uh, directly related to pastured pigs, but there's some overlap there. So we'll be there. We'll be in that part of Virginia for that weekend to enjoy that conference. Well, on today's interview, we have uh, Joseph Baton. Uh, from Greater Lakes Farm, and he uh, he's got a really nice setup, really nice operation, uh, got a good website too. he's He's uh, kind of got his uh, digital marketing put together there well. Uh, so really uh, really good conversation with him. So let's uh, dive right into that uh, discussion. Well, hello everybody. Welcome to the Pasture Pig podcast. I am your host, Troy McClung. Again, just excited that you guys take the time to listen. Uh, The goal of our podcast is to talk about all things pastured pigs and today I have a guest from the Great White North up in Wisconsin. I have Joseph Baton from Greater Lakes Farms and he's going to come on our show today and talk a little bit about his operation up there in Wisconsin. Uh, So welcome Joe.
2: Hey thanks Troy. Thanks for having me on.
1: All right, so uh, so obviously Wisconsin. I think we've already talked about this a little bit before we started recording. You are a Packers fan, correct?
2: I I am a Packers fan. Absolutely. There's, there's
1: no getting no getting away from it. Living in Wisconsin, so.
2: Nope, absolutely.
1: All right, well, excellent. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to uh, to come on the podcast and tell us a little bit about your setup. Let's um, let's dive right into that if you don't mind. Let's let's talk about your operation there at Greater Lakes Farm. What um, what do you have going on up there as far as pigs go?
2: Sure, yeah. Um, so we're located about uh, 20 minutes um, south of Green Bay. Um, we kind of got a polyculture farm here, and pasture pigs are is certainly part of that. Um, we're in the northeast part of Wisconsin, and it's um, you know heavily you know it was impacted heavily by the glaciers, and our geology here is quite variable across our farm, and that makes um, things a little bit different. Um, we have a total; we run 50 acres. Um, at our home site here is where we have the pig. it's about 15 acres. Um, right now we, currently our operation is basically buying in feeders and we've been raising them through the summer and butchering the fall. Um, now if you have a, a couple of reasons, we're going to, starting this fall, keeping a couple of them and we're going to start doing a farrow to finish operation and stop buying in feeders. Um, so that's kind of, um, something on our radar. Um, you know, most people when they think Wisconsin, um, especially Northeast Wisconsin, where we're at, they think flat farmland. We have a little bit of elevation change where we're at. You know, a lot of twelve to sixteen percent slopes. I know Troy, that's that's nothing compared to what you're dealing with down in West Virginia. There, so. <laughs> I'd kill,
1: I'd kill for a thirteen percent slope.
2: <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, but for us, that's 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 a mountain, right? You know, here up in, in eastern Wisconsin. So um, compared to you know a lot of the other farmland around us, just a few miles away, It's you know, 2% slopes, if that. So um, we do have some elevation changes, and we kind of take advantage of that as we kind of have been designing our operation here. So um, at our our home site here, um, you know, our soils here, it it, uh, really impacts on how we farm. Um, It's mostly a silty sand, which is kind of rare. We're on a old sand seam, and there's maybe about 200 acres of it, and we just happen to be on that. Um, That helps us out we actually get probably an extra month of pasture season because of that mm. and just the way the landscape set up. So that gives us kind of an advantage. Uh, we own another parcel, a 40 over, um, and it's a heavier, you know, silty clay. Uh, and It just takes a while for that to dry out and get going in the spring and can get impact in the fall depending on what, what things get. So um, we kind of take those things into consideration as we, you know, operate our farm here. So. So-
1: so do you have a lot of standing water on, on farm usually throughout the year?
2: At, at our home here, we do have a perennial stream that goes through it. Um, but even in some of the big rainstorms that we get, um, and they, we have been getting more frequent larger storms. No standing water, and I love it. Hmm. It's great. So, um, But what we do have is underneath the sand, we kind of have, have a ridge here, and we do have a lot of large spring complexes on the home site. A little over half of it's open and, and pasture and the rest is kind of a, a cedar area along the perennial and a lot of that dotted with large springs and it's not really usable for the most part um for pasture okay. long all right so uh, water excess
1: is, water access is not a problem it's just uh, you don't have to worry about a lot of it uh, standing around in your pastures
2: yeah right you dry up pretty quick for us it, it's kind of nice you know we don't um you know, we tank coat all our water to our animals. Um, and it's easy to get on there even during a rain event and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. Well, excellent. Okay. So, um, so how long have you been doing pigs?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. I've been, you know, I grew up on a dairy farm, of course, being in Wisconsin. Right. Um, <laughs> I grew up in a dairy farm. We raised pigs. We didn't do pasture styles, you know, growing up. Um, see, um, uh, we've been doing pigs. That it's our third year of pasture pig. um, you know, as I, you know, bought my own land and, um, was looking into, I want to get back into raising animals. Um, you know, I, I really kind of liked this idea and fell in love with the concept of, you know, rotationally grazing and pasturing our pigs. Um, and it's, it's been working out great for us so far. So, uh, we're on year three. Um, I've been doing it rotationally on pasture. Um, but I've been doing it. We had pigs pretty much all our lives. So, yeah.
1: All right. So you would mentioned being a, uh, polyculture, uh, what other, what other livestock do you have?
2: Sure. Um, prior to the pigs, uh, you know, we started with broiler chickens, um, like a lot of folks do, um, and that's been growing. So we have, you know, our broiler chickens. We also do turkeys for meat, um, and we usually, you know, butcher those in the fall. Um, we have a small flock of laying hens. I didn't want to get too much in the eggs, at least not at this point, enough to sustain my family and uh, uh, maybe sell a few dozen here or there, give away, Um, and then this year we added a small flock of sheep, um, and, uh, kind of grown that easing it into it, but kind of the staples of our farm is, then our broiler chickens, um, and then our pasture pigs. Um, and the other ones we, you know, can only take on so much. And sometimes, you know, with this year we, you know, our broilers did well, um, and we've been selling a lot of those. We put more of an emphasis on growing that portion, as well as the pig. We continue to double the amount of pigs we raise every year. Um, so that's kind of the growth so far up here with what we've been doing.
1: Yeah, so what's your standard head size? I mean, what size is your herd for um, for your pigs usually?
2: Sure, so this year we did 10. Um, we started off small just to get the feel for it. We put up put up the fence, and you know they want to go with a, a large number and didn't know how they'd sell off. Um, and then we've slowly been doubling that um, every year. And now we're at 10, um, 10 this year. That yeah. we're doing. All
1: right. So is, is the, the, the farm operation, is this a side hustle? Do you do you have a day job? Do you have additional help on farm?
2: Uh, this is a, a side hustle at this point. You know, it's obviously the dream to make it full time one day, right? Yeah. Um, you know, I kind of have it set up. You know, I, I have my wife here and then we have our three young kids. Um six, four, and almost one. So I got a bunch of little ones running around. Um, and they're, they're good helpers. They love it. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, But when, when we started this, you know, my city, she comes, my wife, she comes from the big city, uh, Twin Cities area. Mm. Um, she wasn't, uh, you know, too acclimated with farming. And one of the goals I had getting into this, I always loved raising animals. Um, I, I call it debt-free farming. It's not quite that, but um, the only debt we really have is on the land. Yeah. um i don't have you know, equipment debt and things like that and that was to you know we've done that intentionally so to ease the strain on us you know things can get stressful on some days i'm sure you know that troy right yeah so definitely it's definitely. been that is that has been you know it's hindered growth there were certainly opportunities and i feel like this year especially we've been saying more no's than yeses at some point but and you know, hopefully it continues to you know accelerate and grow for us here mm-hmm. but that's something we kind of keep in the back of our mind. um if we kind of grow
1: our little operation yeah yeah definitely I, I think that's prudent for for people to look and say okay what am I going to invest in am, am I going to dive into this head first that requires me to to make uh, you know, a lot of financial decisions whether it be uh, you know some debt uh, draining savings doing those type of things to expand rapidly or kind of do the slow crawl method and allow the operation right. to pay for that expansion
2: yeah 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 well, we even have it um, you know, when I went into it, too, uh, you know, we didn't even use our savings or anything like that. You know, I had a another little side hustle, as you put it, uh, Troy. Um, you know, we have a small little wood shop, and a lot of the proceeds from that actually went to funding the farm um, to kind of keep all our personal, you know, expenditures on the same path and not, you know, not put a burden on any of that stuff. So that kind of helped us out. All right. Any of the financial systems as we got into it, so...
1: Oh yeah, talk wood. Yeah, I can talk woodworking for you for an hour or more. So we'll we'll have to save that for another discussion. But yeah, that, that's great. That's excellent. Okay, thank you. All right. Um, well, so what? Um, what uh, you're talking about your your operation there? So you 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 purchase wieners. Are you are you looking for specific breeds from your from your uh, uh, supplier? Or are you kind of just getting what you can get?
2: You, you know, it's. Um up to this point has been getting what I can get. So I've raised three different types of breeds now here and over those three years. um, This year, um, we got Tamworths. We kind of uh, found someone um, selling some feeders, and uh, they were good. Um, You know, we've been on places. You know, there's a number of folks selling feeders around here, um, but somewhere I'd go and walk away. I wasn't too impressed with their quality. Uh, We were really happy with these Tamworths that we bought this year. It's actually our first year raising Tamworths. Um, in the past years, we primarily um, raised Berkshires, and I had one Berkshire our first year that I that I've raised. Um, for some reason, the ones last year um, they like to jump. i would never seen a pig jump like like I've seen last year. <laughs> so they jump over the fence, and I had to uh, had to make some improvements to our fencing to in order to contain them a little bit better. You know, and uh, my wife and I were chasing them around on our anniversary, you know, she gave me that look. She didn't say it, but it was either you know her or the pigs and uh, (laughs) uh, make (laughs) improvements. But honey, (laughs) I really like bacon. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah. no, I I got it just from the look. But, but, uh, yeah, so we've kind of made some changes. And even the Tamworths, you know, that we got now this year, um, I was impressed from where I bought them. It was actually from an older gentleman. Um, He was mid to upper 60s, and it sounded like it was his last year farrowing pig, too. He was kind of dwindling out of it. He had a nice little... Um, direct marketing farm, kind of like what we do here. Um, and then kind of because of that, you know, we, we struggled a little bit here and they're trying to find someone with good feeders you know, I had a good person lined up in the past uh, contact him this fall. He, he supports 4-H, which is great stuff. Um, so I kind of get the last, <laughs> the last of what he has left over. And they got picked through pretty well. And this year I decided to try something different Yeah. Um, on this guy because he's getting out of farrowing. I thought, well, this might be an opportunity for, for me to start farrowing my own pigs um, and just kind of building, um, you know, my own herd and and selective breeding towards, you know, what best fits our landscape and what performs best out here with us. Definitely. Um, So that's kind of definitely a long-term goal we have.
1: So are you getting his breeding stock, or are you just saying that that since there's going to be a little bit of a vacuum there, you're going to to go ahead and move into that farrowing process?
2: I'm just going to, you know, he talked to me because I told him I was uh, interested in farrowing. Uh, he tried to convince me to buy his sows, um, and, uh, he, you know, he hasn't given me a price, but I think ultimately what i decided, I'm just going to keep, we're going to keep two of the sows um, we have now, and then that'll turn into our breeding stock. Yeah. Um, going into this fall, so i all breed, so our first batch will be for the spring. Um, it, that's our goal that we have planned right now.
1: Yeah. Will you plan on, on keeping a boar, or are you going to do AI, or what's your process? I,
2: uh. I want to do AI um but, you know I I would have no problem getting a bore but then it's another thing on the farm that you got to manage and plan for um and you know you know time is certainly of value to all of us and I'd like to take that and um focus it on the farrowing and the young care and, and all that rather than you know worrying about that extra water that extra pen all that stuff that would have to be put into place um for a bore so yeah yeah I, I'm looking AI at this point i think that's what you do at your place
1: right Tura? i do i do yeah we do ai and, and i think the um the benefit and the value for us is just like you said the the size of our operation yeah we're we're small enough where um the extra mouth to feed <clears throat> excuse me the extra mouth to feed with the boar is is something that you know, you got to keep an eye on of course keeping them separated uh, with our operation would be uh, an additional concern. But, uh, yeah, as we try to build our herd and, and figure out exactly what genetics we want and, and have more control over that, that's where I like the AI, being able to bring those genetics in and, and try to build a herd. Uh, if I was sure. if I was a much larger operation, then, yeah, it it would become – it would start to become cost prohibitive to, you know, if you're going to be dosing, you know, sow after sow after sow, that it would make sense then to have uh, – have a boar on farm. But yeah, I, I I do, I do appreciate the AI. In fact, uh, I was breeding this morning, uh, to two of my cells. It, it's that time. So oh. uh, it's, it's nice to be able to just go to the cooler, grab the, uh, grab the straws and the, uh, <laughs> and the product and go down there and, then hopefully have successful breeding. So,
2: Yeah. Yeah. It, it, that's exactly what we're thinking with two cells. It doesn't economically make sense to have a boar at this time, especially for, you know, doing it for profit. Yeah. Kind of looking at the breakdown. Yeah. So yeah, no, that to hear.
1: So, so with your finishing operation, are you getting uh, are you getting your piglets brought in at spring and then you're finishing in the fall, or, or are you are you overwintering up there?
2: Um, uh, it's spring and then they're out. Um, late fall, early winter um, is when they we bring them in and get butchered. Um, uh, that's how we've been doing it for the last three years here. So, um, and that's again we tried to we started that way just to you know get ourselves familiar with that how they um, you know the pigs. Work with the fences and all that, um, and try to avoid that overwintering. You know, here in Wisconsin, it gets a little cold sometimes during the winter. So,
1: yeah, yeah, exactly. I, yeah, I'm sure that's that's definitely a concern. And and again, yeah, that's like you said, as as your operation evolves, when you when you have a sow and, uh, you a know, breeding stock, you're going to have to uh, accommodate them in the winter time. But but as of right now, yeah, mm-hmm. you can skip those uh, skip those harsh winters and yeah, not have to worry about a sacrificial area in the pasture.
2: Right right
1: well speaking of pastures how what's your setup right now you'd mentioned rotational what's your what's your regimen on on rotating your pigs throughout do you integrate them with your other livestock or do you kind of keep them
2: separate oh we right now we keep them separate um although i've i've been kind of looking into that you know we do want to go get into a diverse rotation down the road um you know that's what we do with our chickens and lambs right now and we have a few goats as well where we have, you know, multi-species rotating either together or after one another. I'd like to figure out some good combinations, you know, come um, either after the pig or before them or something like that. But, um, you know, our setup we have right now, um, our paddock, our main pasture that we have developed for the pig right now, it's kind of along, along the contour along one of our hillside um, where we have it. Um, the fence is set up. It's actually uh, the perimeter is a three-strand electric wire. Um that's how we did it for our first one and a half years. And then, like I said, you had those pigs that could jump, and they kept <laughs> jumping over and getting out. Um, so what we've done, and then we would divide little sections on that elongated strip with other strands of electric wiring, um, and then we'd, you know, hit an area hard to move it on, you know, intentional tension or intensive rotation. It's kind of what our goal is to practice. Yeah. Um, they would be there you know it depends on you know the way we design our, our paddocks. you know it's really all based on the feeder uh the feeder dictates on when you move the pigs obviously when they're smaller eating less um they may be on a paddock longer than when they're when they're larger um and it you know you got to find that that sweet spot with um, how large your paddocks are um so how much feed you put in the feeder where they don't you know they're out there enough where they eat down the grasses to you don't want to go all the way to the point where they turn it to a a dirt lot or something like that before you move them on. So and we we figured that out pretty quick. I actually, you know, the number we use, and it's probably different for many other folks, it's about uh, 2,000 pounds per half acre. And I think when I calculated that in the a lot, a lot of podcasts and all the other stuff I read when we were getting into this, I think that came from that calculation from what Joel Solaton does with his things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't quote me on that, though, but I think that's how I came up with that number. Yeah. Yeah. I was um, going to say, been that, you know,
1: yeah. I would say that, that oh, yeah, sounds very similar to his really model. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah,
1: exactly. So, so in that process, yeah. though, you've got that. Um, so you're using that that uh, three wire fence as a backbone fence, and you're just you're just building your paddocks um, uh, kind of arbitrarily as you go through the age of your piglets.
2: So that's how we were doing it, and now we actually, so a year and a half ago, we bought. Um, and we were having issues with them getting out of that. And I think the reason they were getting out is they learned once, and the pig is smart, so continue doing it. Yeah. Um, whereas the first year, the pigs we had, no problem with that three strands. I'm sure we could go back to it. Uh, but we actually use uh, pig netting now. Oh, okay. And that's what we move along. I mean, it's, it's pretty much pig proof. Uh, I have no problems with them getting out of it. You know, it's electrified. Um, it's, it's a little more difficult to work with, but uh, I sleep a little easier at night. So, yes. Yeah. There,
1: so. Yeah. That's that's yeah. one of those infrastructure investments that is, is sometimes a little hard to absorb straight away, especially if you're gonna you'll be buying a lot of it, and the issues yep. the, the manual labor elements of that. But you're right as far as uh, security of the animal and, and just knowing that they're not going to be getting out. That definitely is uh, makes that investment worthwhile.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. Well, let's, yeah.
1: uh, let's talk about your, uh, your feed setup. So um, how are you feeding out? Are you feeding out conventional? Do you have non-conventional means?
2: Uh, for, you know, for the most part, what we got, it's, it's mostly conventional. Um, we, get, we work at the local feed mill here. Um, we we'll get pretty fresh grinds um, from them. They get a nice um, um, talk feed that they have. Um, we really like it. It works well. Um, it's, it's priced really well. it's interesting hearing you know some of the perspectives from other folks around the nation on your podcast and others you know we have a lot of dairy farming in our area i think it might be what the top if not one of the top areas with that density with dairy cows there's a lot of feed mills here so it's not you don't have to drive far to find one um so having access to feed is isn't really a problem for us so that's um that's nice and convenient for us but Uh, We have just a a big uh, round feeder where we fill it up and then keep an eye on it until, you know, they eat it down. Um, And then once it's it's out or nearly out, we move on to the next paddock. Uh, What I have noticed with the tamilers versus, you know, the pigs we raised in the past, um, they graze um, and go after the pasture much more aggressively. Um, And I feel like as they get older, too, they're grazing more and more. Um, And usually when they get older, um, you know, they'd be eating the grain or the feed faster and be moved more quickly. And I think it's actually slowing down because it seems like they're grazing more in the pasture. In our last paddock, we moved them off a few days ago. It looks like sheep went through there and they just grazed down to the ground. I mean, it it was pretty impressive. I'm pretty happy with how they're um, foraging on on our pastures.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's great. That really uh, helps keep a lot of money in the wallet there.
2: Yeah, that's right. All right.
1: So um, I assume just doing with your conventional feed, uh, you're not dealing with uh, organic or non-GMO type of stuff right now.
2: Uh, not right now. Um, you know, I got a, a customer base, and uh, you know, one of the things we do over winter is we'll send out a survey on potential ways to change things or get input from our, our customers. And um, I shot out the survey, and one of the questions was was you know would you pay more more for organic? Um, you know, that's, that's a pretty fair assumption. You got a pay more for the feed and all that it, it would be a little more challenging to get that that's not there's not too much that around here um i think there was about 10 percent of our customers that said yes they would So there wasn't much of a demand for that yeah um so at, at at this time we're not really thinking organic um i did have a conversation a few days ago with our female um about convention our switching over to non-gmo um it would take a little more planning ahead for ordering it but they could do it and i think that's a route we're moving uh down in the future we want to get there um all non-GMO is
1: our plan. Yeah, well, you know, and that's that's. I'll go back to your survey point because I, I think this is so important for um, you know people to to think about and consider uh, when they're doing uh, direct sales, when they're selling directly to uh, to consumers. This keeping in touch with your client base and understanding what your clients are looking for, because uh, you just don't mm-hmm. know the element of fringe clients you have that say, well. Yeah, you know, I like buying from uh, from Joe, but if he only did this, I'd buy more. And, and and again, if you don't have those conversations, you don't have a way to get that information from. You're not going to necessarily know where you need to make adjustments. So I, I love that. I love that you're doing that. Again, I, as as a marketing guy, I, I I can't extol the virtues of of communicating with your customers. You know, having that email marketing list having those opportunities to communicate and just just give your your customers an opportunity to respond to say well hey yeah if you did this i'd buy more off of you or i've got five friends that if you did this then then i would uh, i'm sure they would buy so yeah, you know, kudos to you for for taking the time to do that and listening to your customers
2: yeah yeah and um you know we always and, and it's true you know the customers they shape our farm you know it's their farm just as much as ours and you know, that's the message we kind of convey on to them and, and and i will say that my wife she's also in marketing she's a marketing director for a company here so i do have a little advantage there i know too much about seo and all these other social media stuff that i <laughs> wouldn't know without her i guess so you i go. gotta give her credit there So,
1: all right so did she build your website because it looks it looks a very it's a very nice site
2: I, I i take the first stab at it and then uh she tweaks it from there there you go that's right
1: <laughs> You're the rigger, She's the trigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, uh, you talked about uh, having a day job, so let's let's talk about what's uh What's a typical farm day look like for you, as far as your chores go? How do you balance that uh, the farm activities and the day job?
0: Sure.
2: Um, so during the summer months and most of our growing season, because you know, like we, right now we just bring in feeders um, and even the broilers and turkeys; those are seasonal as well um my day job i work um nine hour days four days a week typically depending on how busy things can be um and then uh um, i burn up some vacation things like that so i have one day off um, during the week when the family's gone um where i can get the major things done around here Um, but uh you know on a a typical day work day um i'll be out at you know five o'clock doing just morning chores typically just checking up on things we do getting the feed out there for most of our animals typically in the evening with the exception of the chicken um we get the feed out in the evening if feed needs to go out and water and things like that we restock um so morning's pretty easy um and then i'll get back you know, get out your five it's about half hour or so and then uh get off to work be gone for 10 11 hours and then uh in the afternoon you know depending if things have to be moved um you know it could be an hour to a couple hours of work in the afternoon so yeah all right but, well, kind of a typical day, I guess. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, um, I want to come back to something you talked about there, and, and have you ex- expand on something? So, with your rotational process using the electrified uh, hog netting, um, obviously your feeder, your bulk feeder—that's that's a no-brainer. You're moving that on. How are you handling your water situation for your pigs?
2: Yeah, for so for our water, we got a a big stock tank. It's like livestock stock stock tank, and then it's designed that it has. Um, a little pan underneath it with a flotation device in it Hmm. so the pan empties you know the flotation device goes down and then fills back up from the water stock yeah yeah okay Uh, and it holds yeah it holds 100 gallons um it does the trick um i might have to replace the float after this year it's been three years but it still works well um you know big and bulky so i can put cool well water in there it'll hold its coolness throughout the day even on a you know a 90 degree day and we've had a number of those um, these last few weeks here um, so we, they get that nice cool refreshed water uh, right now we are working with um, some of our local uh, the local NRCS technician and then we have a state grazing specialist I'm working with as well um, and we're designing um, new pasture paddock but ultimately be pigs and then we're going to be putting in uh, water lines as well so that's a fall project if not next spring that we're hoping to, to work towards.
1: Excellent yeah that's great. Do you do any rain catchment or anything on farm right now?
2: Um, no, none of that right now. Um our our you know our 15 acres we're on is kind of a a long parcel up to 40 deep, um as I put it. Um so we're all our pastures and our um we don't have any buildings really near it, so mm-hmm. if we collected the water, we'd have to haul it back there regardless. Yeah. So,
1: okay. Well, great. Yeah, definitely. That's a good setup. All right. Well, um Going forward, I know you've you've talked about some of these uh, a little bit, but um, let's expand on them. If you looking forward, what are some short term goals you have with your uh, pig operation? I know we talked about uh, farrowing operation and, and growth. Where do you where do you see that growth going in the next couple of years?
2: Oh sure. Um, so with that, you know, one thing we've been fortunate this year is we got into kind of the retail restaurant side of sales, uh, primarily with our chicken. We haven't done any of the pork, um, but we have a lot of our chefs. Interested in our pork, um, you know I won't have anything till this fall. So our goal, my goal with that is um, I need to expand our pig pasture, um, but we're going to go into this fall and we're going to start farrowing um, over winter year to hopefully have our first batch next year. In um, short term, over the next few years, what I'd like to do is you know working with chefs, you know they want you know certainly a, a consistent uh, product from you and um, try to keep things in stock as well. And our goal is to, you know have two um two sows going in this fall and hopefully pick up um another two um for next spring. I'd have to you know, this is something we're researching pretty heavily where we'd be farrowing about four times a year, um and then having, you know, being able to butcher then for you know, have pigs ready to butcher to put in the freezer so we have content supply and you know, to continue to supply our chefs um kind of year round and always have something out on pasture ready to go if needed, right? So yeah. Um, I think that's kind of our our short term goal over the next couple of years here um and then going you know two barrels with two sets of sows i think is our our ultimate goal over the next year really so.
1: yeah definitely that's one of those things that's the challenge when you when you take on uh uh, direct sales to restaurants and then those type of elements where you know they they want that product on a regular basis they want consistency there. Uh, so that does change yep. your operation. you know you think about it if if you're going to go to four fairings, uh then you've got um, you know, you've got different management, you're going to have uh, you know, different pastures of different age uh, you know piglets going to be rotating through and and that's 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 a challenge and of course that uh, just requires you to get the infrastructure in place.
2: right, right. Okay,
1: so um, are you? You're also selling. So you're selling retail with your your chickens. Um, are Are you selling just holes and halves when it comes to your pigs right now? or Are you actually selling cuts to to end users?
2: Just holes and halves right now up to this point. Um, but you know, like I said, with the retail, they're asking about it. So we're going to get into, um, excuse me, the cuts. Um, you know, starting this fall with this batch, um, and then even offering the cuts uh, retail to you know, our home deliveries that we do, um, and uh, any farm pickups. Hopefully have that available to diversify a little bit. You know, we have a number of folks that they'll take a half pig, they'll take a whole pig, um, but some that have told me, they don't have the freezer space or they don't want that much meat. So um, we might even, you know, one thing that we're really interested in doing and that we're looking to design is just like a pork box where it's 20 pounds of pork. That I think might be reasonable for, you know, a different – different group of customers out there potentially for us for a port yeah. so um we're still kind of working through it. it it's tough you know i mean we we can look at you know some of our past um you know butcher cut lists and how things have pieced out and all that you know i don't want to overcommit on on bacon and pork chops and <laughs> not, not have any of those left um for for certain parts of where we market and sell our products so yeah. it's, it's something we're still kind of Trying to work out, and that's what I'm being cautious on the, the retail side of things as well. I don't overcommit, and then come mid-winter or something, not have any product either. So, yeah, um, it, it's slow growth for us at this point, but we're hoping to get there.
1: Yeah, and and again, as we mentioned before, I, there's there's definitely nothing wrong with uh, uh, the slow method. Uh, the 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 slow crawl really keeps you from uh, stubbing your toe too hard sometimes. Yeah. Well, what about your your processing situation? Do you have uh, Do you have access to good processors? I assume up in uh, Packer Country, you'd, you'd have some options there.
2: Yes, we have good access to them. Um, I mean, they make brats all over the place. If you've ever been to Wisconsin, so <laughs> yeah, <that's> um, <laughs> we, we love our brats. So yeah, actually, um, you know, probably within you know our processor we use for our pigs. Um, 20, 25 minutes away, USDA, all that, so we can sell um, to restaurants probably within an hour's distance. And we may look to some other ones to see if they offer other um, options. Um, that's one thing we might do is push our processor a little harder for, um, you know, certain seasonings or cuts or things like that. Um, especially, you know, the chefs are already pushing those questions on me and I don't have any pick for them right now at this point. But, um, you know, within an hour of where we are, we probably have a good half dozen to dozen processors. There's a number of them around, um, plenty in supply.
1: Yeah. Wow. I'm jealous. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah.
2: Another advantage, is you know, there's a lot of folks that, you know, raise up a few pigs or have a couple of steers or something like that. And, um, so yeah, there's a lot of processors around. We have seen a couple recently, um, really good ones where they have a nice meat market attached to it, um, where they've completely gone away from doing custom cuts for people, Mm-hmm. And they only do processing for their own shop, their own little meat shop. Yeah, I'm not quite sure if I, why they they've taken that trend. Um, you know, some really good ones, and it's made me nervous. Hopefully, that doesn't become the norm. Um, I know some folks have mentioned they got to drive four hours, um, and and that would be a big task. Yeah, if we have to do that. So. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah,
1: yeah. all right. Well, um, so. And and usually what I what I do here when I when I'm getting close to wrapping up, Joe, is there anything anything particular you'd you'd like our um, our audience to hear about your operation? Is there anything else uh, longer term goals you're you're looking toward?
2: Well, the long term goal is to uh, you know be doing this full time. Um, you know, I guess maybe one other unique thing we do, you know, part of our feeding resume. Um, you know, we um you know we we try and do you know antibiotic you know non-medicated products as well. Uh, pigs is a little challenging at this point. You know, you can't buy in feeders from other farms without them going through a certain vaccination process. Sure. Um, I'm not sure if that's just Wisconsin. I, and I think I, I won Minnesota also have that rule. I think it came into effect 2016 or 2017. I don't know if that's something you have out in West Virginia. Yeah. Um, no, that's one of the we reasons don't. we want to get. We don't. Okay. Yeah. They, yeah. You, you have to vaccinate before you sell off farms. Um, that's a rule we have in place here. And that's one of the reasons. Uh, one of the top reasons we want to go to farrowing as well farrow finish um and uh one of the things we do you know if if we do have a pig um that is sick we may give it a shot in order to you know bring it back um but it's been probably two years since we've had to do that Um, we actually because we have a wood shop we take and we make charcoal out of it yeah and then we actually feed that for pigs and um i know through some of the initial research it's like a. Uh, like a, a natural remedy or it helps pigs with their digestive and just health and all that and i don't know if that's helping the pigs or not and we just continue to do it because we have healthy pigs you know the batch we have this year it's like candy to them i throw in a bucket every time we move them and they just devour it so um it, it's cheap and easy to do um and uh i don't know if that's helping with, from the health side of things kind of a natural way at you know keeping them healthy and and, and all that so yeah i don't know if you have any experience on that or
1: not. Well, you know, it's interesting you say that because um, uh, talking about you know, disease control and those type of things, uh, uh, another episode that we'll be doing with uh, uh, specifically talking about disease control in pigs, but, uh, you know, you, you kind of fall into some of these things that you've always done, and and yeah, I don't necessarily have any metrics on my farm. as how I measure that, but, you know, one thing we always would do is we collect um yeah, you know, pumpkins. Yeah, you know, we have a lot of, of friends that are uh in the in the urban area, suburban areas that they have their fall decorations and when they're done with them they're like, Hey, you want these pumpkins? Sure, throw them in the back of my truck, I'll feed them my pigs. So pigs love pumpkins, but knowing that the pumpkin seed is uh is supposedly a good natural dewormer. So uh mm-hmm. so yeah, you know, using that and, and realize okay, I I don't yeah, you know, we're closed loop. I don't have worm issues uh on, on the farm and haven't for years. Uh, so it's like, okay, do I attribute that to the uh, to the pumpkin seeds or is it something else? But but you mentioned the charcoal. It's the same thing. As I as I move my pigs around, sometimes I'll move them into areas. That, you know, we're trying to clear land in West Virginia, so as we've cleared some areas and and we've we've had some smaller brush fire uh, brush piles, we'll have that re- you know, remaining charcoal, some of the ash and things, and the pigs absolutely love it. I mean, they'll go in and just vacuum every bit of that up, and it's it's like you can almost yeah, right. yeah, you can barely tell that you had a fire in this spot because they go through and get all get all in it, and what's hilarious in the in the wintertime, of course, if we have a brush fire, then they'll be laying around it like a like a pack of hot dogs warming up, and then as they get bolder as the fire <laughs> as the fire goes down, they'll end up uh, laying on the ashes at night just to just to stay warm and enjoy that heat so yeah it, it is interesting to see uh, it's one of those things you say, well, I don't know that I can. You measure that to say this charcoal's definitely helping with health, but you know why stop? It's you know, there's there's been good reports of of you know how beneficial that could be, so yeah, you know, why stop?
2: Yeah, yeah, no, um, yeah, that's interesting that you have observed that as well, and um, yeah, you know it's one of the things I couldn't tell you if it's the charcoal helping out, but things are healthy, so I'm going to continue doing what I'm doing, right?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's the old "if it ain't broke, don't <laughs> fix it" type of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right, Joe. Well, well, one question I always ask everyone in closing is, what is your best experience or favorite part of raising pigs on pasture?
2: Oh, sure, um you know probably one of the things, and it's why I wanted to you know get into having a farm uh, farm with with my families. I wanted to kind of get my kids engaged to it, and I really love you know seeing when they come out and helping me and now they're starting to take over the chores. I'm not allowed to do certain things anymore. It's got to be their job so which i'm i'm totally happy with you know just i want my kids to go through that experience I, I think that you know one thing i really enjoy about you know raising pigs and having having our little farm here um you know and i hope they continue to enjoy it as much as i do um i think it builds you know good work ethic and things like that i think you know, as a parent is, is is a valuable thing so um in yeah. addition to all the other things we love about it too you know just being out here uh, having our having land and and watching animals grow and working with
1: them so um yep. yeah you know and i enjoy that that's what i love talking i just love talking to to people that that are farming and doing these type of things all over the country and just hear all these different experiences but you know, touched on a point uh, that's that's really dear to me you think about uh the majority of kids uh now in, in their generation uh, really don't get to experience a lot of what uh, our kids take for granted on a daily basis, you know, the interaction, yeah. interaction with the land, interaction with the animals, seeing, um, you know, seeing creation, uh, you know, uh, you just play out before your eyes there and, and just being able to interact with all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, my boys are teenagers now. So, yeah, they're they're kind of looking at okay, what's life like all farm, but they still have that appreciation for what they've learned uh, on farm and and then so many people talk to them like, "Oh wow, I can't believe you. You've got pigs, you've got this, you've got that." Wow, "Man, I'd love to do that." And and they're like, "What? I thought everybody, I thought everybody did this." So, so yeah, it is it is a very unique perspective for the kids and and, and like you say, some really good life lessons, some um some uh, you know, a lot of knowledge they can glean from the farm that they're not going to get anywhere else.
2: Yeah, absolutely. No, I agree
1: well all right joe man i appreciate uh, you taking the time to talk to us this evening Um, for those that want to find out more about your farm uh, where can they find you on the world wide webs
2: sure yes we got our website um, just greaterlakesfarms.com that's greater with an er than Lakes farms Um, and then we're also on on facebook and instagram as well Uh, my wife manages a lot of that we'll put posts out there just farm updates so um, you know, our contact information is on on our website if anybody wants to reach out to us we're we're happy to talk so we certainly uh, promote and encourage others to do what we're doing so I think it's a great thing to have in, in communities so
1: excellent excellent well, all right well I uh, hope you have a great evening i hope you've got your farm chores done already and if not i uh, hope they wrap up soon and uh, again oh, pre- I'm done all right cool all right well again appreciate you coming on and, and it was a pleasure talking with you all right. Thanks a lot, Troy. All right. Take care. Well, appreciate uh, Joseph coming on the podcast. Again, really good discussion. I like what he's got going on up there in Wisconsin. Um, if you want to know more uh, information about his operation, as he mentioned, we'll uh, list that in the uh, show description so you can uh, find all of his contact links there. Well, uh, we've got another batch of interviews coming up. Excited that uh, you know, we've got some um, kind of a little bit of a change in format for, for a couple of the interviews. We have some people that are just new into the pastured pig world. And we're going to talk to them about their first experiences, you know, their first year uh, or two in this uh in this area of, of farming and and get their experiences and, and be able to share what, uh, what they've run into so far, some of the challenges and some of their successes. So that'll be a string of interviews coming up here in the next couple weeks. Well, appreciate everybody uh, listening. Hope you have a great week and a good time on the
0: farm. Take care. We hope you have enjoyed this episode of the Pastured Pig Podcast. To learn more about our podcast or to submit topics or recommend guests for future episodes, visit... RedToolhouse.com